been quite a journey through 1 Corinthians 13. When we began this uh, number of weeks back, looking at 1 Corinthians 13, we began by considering the statement, God is love, because truly that is the foundation for everything that we've talked about over these last few weeks. And it is because God is love that he has the right and the authority to define for us what real love is. And we have the responsibility to listen and to learn and then to love real, to love according to what he has revealed. I want us to consider again what we find in God's word in 1 Corinthians 13. Beginning with verse 4, it reads, this is the definition we've been working with. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This is not a love that can be manufactured. This is not a love that can be prepackaged and put into a jar. This is a supernatural love we've been studying to this point. A supernatural love. Let's consider what it says here. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child... Talk like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish. I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am known. And now these three remain: faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's focus. Let's focus. On what God says here, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails because I've got to tell you, that's not our normal human experience. So we want to understand what these, what what God is saying to us about love and why our love is so different than the love we often see pictured in Scripture and the love that we see here. And so what I'd like us to do is actually just kind of break these, this verse down and focus on what God wants to say to us today because we want to understand it and we want it to shape our lives, to shape our love. And so let's begin. Love, love always protects, and this is comforting, isn't it? Love always protects. Love protects not just sometimes, but always. Protects, of course, is a verb, but if you look at the root of that word, you see there's a noun. And that noun for protect is, means a roof for covering a building. If you want to know what protect means, that's what it means. It's a roof that covers a building. Now, 
How does that, how does love protect? Love protects by covering. Love protects by covering as a roof covers a house. And that has two very important implications for us today. The first is that it does not allow things into the life of the one who's loved that would bring hurt or injury. In other words, it conceals the person from harm. As a roof covers a house, so too love covers over the person, protecting them from harm. Parents, you know this. You do this with your children all the time. You, you provide structures. You provide barriers. You provide rules in order to protect them from harm. You'll do anything that you can to protect your family, to cover them in that way. And that's certainly one implication of what it means that love protects. As a matter of fact, that's the first thing we think of is, you know, put up your dukes. I'm going to protect the people I love. But there's another implication That is far more profound, and it is this. Love does not needlessly publicize the faults and failures of others. It protects others from exposure, ridicule, and harm. In other words, as God's Word says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. What happened on the cross of Jesus Christ when he died for us is that his love in his blood covered over a multitude of our sins. It covered up our sins. Now, at this point, we begin to think, wait a minute, covering up sin doesn't sound like such a loving thing to do. Covering up sin sounds like a harmful thing to do. But what we're reading here is that love protects by covering the sin of another. That does not mean you ignore someone's sin or sinful lifestyle. It does not mean that you never correct sin, never exercise discipline. As I was reading some of the the writings on this verse, uh, one sentence by John MacArthur was very helpful. He said, even when a sin is certain, love tries to correct it with the least possible hurt and harm to the guilty person. Love never protects sin, but is anxious to protect the sinner. How is this different from our culture? We live in a culture now where we want everything exposed. And the whole purpose is to bring ridicule on people, to bring them down. Now, as I flip back through the pages of Scripture, I find that there was a group of people back in Jesus' day who had the very same attitude, and they were called Pharisees. They were big into exposing sin, big into exposing sin, except, of course, their own sinful hearts. But they wanted to really show other people sin up, and they'd pull them down. They'd they'd drag them out. Jesus, you'll remember, found the woman who was caught in adultery. Was adultery right? No. But there she was, about to be stoned. And Jesus looked at the crowd and he said, whoever's without sin, let them be the one that casts the first stone. In other words, here you are bringing this woman up for ridicule and even death at this point where where you're harboring sin inside yourself. You don't want your sin dragged out for public display and yet you're willing to drag out this woman's sin for public display. What's wrong with this picture? 
Sin doesn't want to see people ridiculed, brought to their knees, humiliated because of what they've done wrong. Especially when it's people you love. Now, obviously, we live in a period of tabloid journalism. And that's the whole point of tabloid journalism. Let's find some mud. Let's throw it as high and as far as we can and hope it sticks. And let's bring that person down. Now, I have no problem with legitimate reporting that discovers falsehood and deceit and brings that out. But what is, what's the purpose behind it all? Is there any love in it at all? Now, this comes to, to rest in our homes because our human nature wants to drag sin out. And we want to use that sin in order to humiliate other people. And that's certainly not loving. But we do it even to our spouses. Husbands and wives, listen to me very, very carefully. Your spouse is not perfect. And we know that. We also know that you're not perfect. When you take your wife's or your husband's faults and failures and parade them publicly for others to see and hear, you're not acting in a loving manner. I am guilty of this. And it can be hurtful. It can be painful. And it can it can start breaking things down in the love relationship that you have with your spouse. Be careful what it is that you parade around. If your wife isn't a good cook, I know I brought this up. Nancy, Nancy actually is a very good cook. It's just that I do most of the cooking, and that's not a problem because we have this agreement. If she's willing to eat hot dogs, we're just fine. That's not a big issue in our lives. But I didn't realize how badly it hurt until she confronted me with it. And there are things that you have in your lives when you look at your husband or your wife and they're not perfect, but they don't need to be on public display. You don't need to use those in order to make yourself look good or to get a chuckle from your buddies. Love doesn't do that. And it's not that love is hiding sin. It's just that love isn't parading another sin for all to see. Love protects. And if you love someone, you want to protect them, not just harm from the outside, but harm from the inside as well. The second phrase that we see is love always trusts. Obviously, the word trust is also very, uh, is the same root word as faith or belief in, in, the, in the Greek. Here the context means love sees the best in others and gives people the benefit of the doubt. Love is not jaded. Love does not always look for the worst in people or assume the worst about people. Augustine said it well, that this quality of love is believing the best about all people. Obviously, you and I have been burned a few times by doing that. 
And some of us have decided, I'm not trusting anyone ever again. Well, that may seem the wise and prudent thing to do, but it's not loving. Now, Paul is not saying that love is, is gullible. He's not saying that we don't use, need to use wisdom and discernment. But he is saying that love will believe well of others until we're proven wrong. And then love will keep on giving that person at least some measure of a benefit of the doubt because you and I all know not everybody changes, but some people change. And you've been one of them. I love to hear the testimonies of people uh, who share how God has changed their personality change their reactions in circumstances and situations where they would typically have responded one way that now because God is able to change us from the inside, he has changed us and we respond to the same circumstances in a different way. God can do that. And that's why we we want to give up on people and say they will never change. I don't know, just about everybody in here has probably said that about somebody. They will never change. You know what? You may be right, but you may be wrong. Because God is able to do what you and I cannot do, what sociologists and psychologists cannot do, what your family physician cannot do. God is able to do it. God's able to change people. From the inside out, love. Love has a trust that is built in. I like what Robertson and Plummer put in their commentary on this verse. When love has no evidence, they say it believes the best. When evidence is adverse, it hopes for the best. And when hopes are repeatedly disappointed, it still courageously waits knowing that there can be change. Now, we can sit around here and go all day on when do you trust, how much do you trust. Here's the deal. This is what I tell people in pre-marriage counseling all the time. When you're getting married, your husband, your, your wife is giving you the benefit of the doubt. Okay? You start off with brownie points. You start off with money in the bank with your husband or your wife. If not... Let's rethink the marriage to start. You start off with money in the bank. You start off with credits. You start off with brownie points. Trust when you start a marriage relationship. When you start to be untrustworthy, you begin to lose those. And I tell everybody that trust is gained by the inch but lost by the mile. It's hard to regain trust It's hard for us to be trusting of people who have hurt us. We need to use wisdom. We need to use discernment. But more than anything, we need to use love. And there is, in love, a willing to trust, even if I know sometimes I'm going to get burned. I can't tell you the number of people who seek help through the church. Some of them, we've learned over time that their requests 
are because we've heard from other churches, we've other organizations, we know that they're using the system. We've got to use our wisdom, we've got to use our discernment to say we can't perpetuate this kind of lifestyle. But I realize that if we're going to act in a loving way to our community that's hurting, there are times that we're going to get burned. And we have to willing that that is just the price of loving people. That from time to time you're going to get burned. But what I know of love is that it trusts. Paul goes on to write, love always hopes. Hope looks forward in confidence and faith. It is optimistic, but it is not optimistic in a pie-in-the-sky kind of way. Hope, then, is optimism based on God's will being done. Love hopes for what is best for that person and what is in God's will for that person. The best picture we can find of this probably is in a story that Jesus told about a father who had two sons. One son comes to him and says, Dad, he says, I've had it with this place. I want you to give me my inheritance. And I'm going to take it and go live my own life. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. And the son does that very thing. His dad gives him the money, divides up the inheritance. He takes off for a far country, a distant place. And there he begins to live a party lifestyle. Everything that he'd always imagined, he was now free to do it. He had the money to do it. He had all kinds of friends around him willing to help him spend the money. When the money ran out, as usual, the friends ran out. And he found himself poor and destitute, so hungry that he finally had to take a job with a pig farmer. And being Jewish, that was not an easy thing to do. His plight was so bad that he wanted to to eat the pig's food. And then the Bible says, in my translation, it says he came to himself. It was one of those look-yourself-in-the-mirror kind of moments. And he said, back at my father's house, even the servants have plenty to eat. And so he made up his mind. He was going to get up, and he was going to go to his father, and he was going to say, Father, I cannot expect you to take me back as a son, but if you'll take me back as a servant, and I'll just work for you because I've seen I've seen the kind of master you are, and I'd settle for that right now. And so he went back to his father, and and this is what we read in Luke's gospel, the 15th chapter, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled not with contempt, but with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is the most perfect picture of love always hopes that you can find in Scripture. There is this hope, this optimism based on the plan of God that says, I'm going to stick it out. I'm not going to lose hope. I believe that God has a plan and a purpose, and even if I don't see it, I'm hanging on to it. I know many parents who are hanging on to a hope 
that God is going to bring their son, their daughter back. They're hanging on to that hope. It is not a pie-in-the-sky optimism. It is a belief that God has changed my child, and they are now running off doing their own thing, but somehow the Spirit of God in them will draw him to himself so that they will come back and be in right relationship to him. Love always hopes. Paul also says that love always perseveres. The word perseveres or endures means to remain or to bear up under. And when I originally think of that word, the first person, well, it's not really a person, personage that comes to mind lives with Winnie the Pooh and all that crowd, and his name is Eeyore. Some of you know Eeyore. Poor Eeyore. Always got a cloud over his head. Everything is always wrong. That's Eeyore. And when we hear that love always perseveres, that's our thinking. Oh, I got to be an Eeyore. Oh, my life is awful. But God is good, but my life is awful. Wonder what bad thing is going to happen today. That is not what this means. When it says that love perseveres, that love endures, that love bears up, this attitude of love means the believer endures patiently, joyfully, and triumphantly trusting that God has got it in control. It is this kind of love that was in the hearts so that Paul and Silas from prison when they could have had Eeyore's attitude, instead were singing hymns, singing songs of praise while they were locked up in, the, in, in, in shackles in the bottom part of a dungeon somewhere. They were still singing praise to God. It is that kind of persevering. There, you, the Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. We are. That is now. That is happening right now. And I know that there's some rough things going on in your life right now. But I'm telling you that because of Jesus Christ, you are more than a conqueror. No one's going to climb up into heaven, find God's book, and mark your name out of the Lamb's book of life. It's not happening. You belong to him. You are a child of the king. You are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. You are more than a conqueror. You are not defined by your circumstances. You're defined by God. Love always, always perseveres. The secular term for this uh, word for this term uh, of persevering is of a soldier who holds his position in spite of enemy opposition what it's saying is love doesn't throw in the towel quickly love doesn't quickly raise the white flag love is stubborn love is persistent and love is lasting that's the kind of love God shows to us and the kind of love he calls us to show to others and now we get to the one Now we get to the one where we have a really, really hard time. Love never fails. I often wonder when I stand up in front of a 
group and I've got a bride and a groom in front of me and they're exchanging vows. I read from 1 Corinthians 13 and I read through this and I get to this part that says love never fails. But you see, I know, I know the bride and I know the groom and I know their families. And I have to wonder if one or the other of them is, isn't saying in their minds, love never fails. Well, what about my dad walking out on my mom? Love never fails. Well, what about that conversation I had three years ago as my mother and father sat down and said, you know what, we're just not happy together anymore. Love never fails. What about mom falling out of love with dad? Love never fails. Go ahead, pastor, tell me another one. Yeah. The Greek word fails means to fall away and thus to cease to function. And it's used of walls falling into ruin. They're of no more use. But I want to tell you the problem is not with love itself. The problem is that having seen seemingly love relationships fall into ruin, we don't know how to put all the pieces together in our mind. Remember, we've said from the very beginning to love The way love is pictured in 1 Corinthians 13 requires supernatural power. This is the way God loves. And only God can enable us to love with that same love. If we choose to try to live our lives outside of an intimate love relationship with the Father, where we are receiving the Father's love to the point where it overflows our lives. If we're living outside that, if we don't know the depth of the God's love for us, then we will never know the power to love this way. Now, we can manufacture some love. We can manufacture some form or fashion of love, but it cannot be the kind of love that we see expressed in 1 Corinthians 13, a love that never fails, a love that never falters, a love that always endures, a love that rises above. This, when a couple stands before me and they pledge to each other their love, what each of them is hoping to receive, is 1 Corinthians 13. Shay and Bobby knew it. Isn't that what you want? You want 1 Corinthians 13 love from your spouse. That's what you want. That's what you're there for. Give me this kind of love. It's what we want to receive. But sadly, it's not often what we find. God's love never fails. That we know we can count on. God's love cannot fail. We walk in confidence that God loves us. He loves us today. He will love us tomorrow. He will love us through eternity. That's the love that we want God to pour into us and that God calls us to overflow into the lives of others. 
And here's the reason that love never fails. Love never fails because God is love. And God never fails. It is part of his character. It is part of who he is. And he is an eternal God. And therefore, love itself is eternal. It will always be. God will always love us. And we're called to always love him. Now, as Paul wraps up these words, I want you to notice what he says. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Why? Because God is love. It's not what they're singing about on the radio. It's not what you're seeing on Dr. Ruth and Dr. Phil and whatever the other doctor you're listening to. If you want to know what love is, if you want to know what love is, you can read 1 Corinthians 13 or you can look at the cross. John wrote, this is love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God pours out his love, his 1 Corinthians 13 love. God pours out that love on us, and God enables us to love other people with that love. And we cannot do it. I'm telling you, we cannot love like this apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It just ain't happening. And one of the reasons so little 1 Corinthians 13 love is being shown in marriage relationships and in life in general is that we do not live abiding in the love and the presence of God. If we live disconnected to God's love, we cannot love not like this. And so as we wrap up this series of messages, I have two questions to ask you. The first is this. Have you received God's love and the forgiveness that he offers? John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his son. God's motivation. God so loved us that he gave his son. But we must receive him. We must receive that love. We must make it our own. We, we have a part in this. If you've not received God's love, if you've not received God's forgiveness, let me tell you, you're not too bad. God knows everything you have ever done. And as a bonus, he knows everything you will do. And yet he still died on the cross for you. He still loves you enough to receive you and to make you new and to make you his. The second question is this. For you who are believers, for you who are followers, do you really want to love others in the way that God loves you? And that's really where the problem is. I learned something about golf that I'll share with you because I think it speaks to life. I was learning about the golf swing, and the instructor said, 
It's simple, but it's not easy. I can tell you the same thing about this love. It's simple, but it's not easy. It means giving up what we want in order to love like God loves. It means setting aside self in order to love like God loves. But I'm here to tell you the only love that will change you, change your family, and change this community is this 1 Corinthians 13 love. Nothing you can manufacture, nothing you've heard on a song on the radio is going to change this community the way 1 Corinthians 13 love will. And the question that you have to wrestle with And to be honest, it was the question that at 4 a.m. this morning, I was wrestling with. It's very simple. Do I really, really want to love like that? I want to be loved like that. But do I really want to love like that? The good news is, the good news is, is that God can empower you to do what you cannot do on your own.